0: Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 403. Today is February 10th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at Investablewealth.com. Well, as always, these are interesting times in the stock market. In this episode, I want to point out what I think is a very unusual occurrence that we're currently seeing in. And I'm going to talk specifically about the S&P 500, but this would relate to the market overall. And really, I guess I just sum this up as saying that I'm concerned about two major things, and that's declining corporate profits, and the other issue is the failure of the S&P 500 to have a clean breakout above its 200-day moving average. Okay, let's emphasize here that I'm concerned. Concern doesn't mean that I think an economic collapse is around the corner. I don't necessarily think we're about to see a train wreck in the economy, but I definitely don't share all the recent enthusiasm that we've seen over the last month and a half to two months. Okay, so as a result of that, I am mostly in cash, meaning I am parking my money in money market funds. I have my money in those money market funds, so it's quickly and easily able to be deployed back into the market whenever I do think there's a higher probability that the market will go up. And incidentally, with that, that doesn't mean that I'm going to jump in all at once. I may test the waters. I may you know, buy a little here, a little there. I could buy call options. I could take long positions. I could sell cash-secured puts. But again, because I can't predict the future, I don't know which one of those methodologies or strategies I'll employ. I'm sitting back simply watching the market and being cautious. I want my money liquid and readily available because literally conditions could change overnight and in the click of a mouse button, I could be 100% in the market. And that 100% in the market doesn't mean that I think it's all clear and I'm going to be in there for the next five years. I could be 100% in the market and two weeks later be back out. Okay, so before we get into my specific explanation of the two things that are concerning me. I want to mention that last night I put out a blog post, and if you got that email notification, there's an error in the chart. Okay, so I realized that after I sent it out, it was too late to make changes on it. So this morning I went in and I updated the chart. So everything I said verbally, I agree with, but the chart has been updated. So take a look at investablewealth.com. And look at that newly updated chart, and if you're not on the email list, well, go to investablewealth.com anyways, look at that chart. I think it's pertinent, and I'm going to be reviewing that today. As far as the data that was wrong on it, the data actually wasn't wrong, but there was a time frame miscalculation on the post-pandemic curve. All the data was monthly, but for some reason when I was converting things over and drawing the post-pandemic curve, that data was calculated bi-weekly. And so I ended up with twice as many data points for the post-pandemic period than what I should have. And that's actually how I ended up catching the air, because afterwards when I printed out the chart and I was looking at it after I'd sent out the blog post, I looked at the bottom of my time frame and I saw that the post-pandemic peak to present time was like 22 or 24 months or so, and I knew that wasn't the case. It really was only about 14 And that's, again, just because I had twice as many data points. The the data was all accurate. It was just collected at twice the rate as everything else on the chart. All right, I know there's more information than you wanted to hear, and most people have stopped listening to the episode at this point. So um, actually, we can get into the good stuff. Okay, so what am I concerned about? And this is nothing new. This is what I've been concerned about since about October of last year. Number one, as I mentioned, I'm concerned about declining corporate profits. Listen, I don't care whether the Federal Reserve raises interest rates or lowers interest rates by a quarter of a point. You know, all the financial basion that you hear the talking heads arguing about, none of that interests me. My approach to the stock market is that long term, the only thing that ultimately matters is corporate profits. And generally, corporate profits always go up. That's why last year, when a lot of people were really wetting to bed, worried about inflation and inverted yield curves and rising interest rates, for the better part of the year, I didn't care about any of those concerns because it looked like future corporate profits were still going to be very strong regardless of all those other events. Well, that's changed. It's changed for a number of reasons. I'm not going to get into all those right now because a lot of it is still supposition. But the bottom line is, Corporate profits are declining. And if you look at the recent headlines where we're seeing the release of fourth quarter 2022 earnings, you know, you'll see the typical thing about, oh, the majority of companies beat expectations. I think this time around, it's something like 68%, and normally it's, it's in the 70s. So while less companies are beating estimates, there's still a vast majority that are. But you know, that's just a shell game. CEOs and companies, they're just like good salesmen. They sandbag their quotas. And they not only sandbag their quotas to make it easier for when they have to announce what they've done, but along the way, they also revise earnings. And that's the big point right now that I want to emphasize. You hear all these things about these companies have beat their expectations. Well, yeah, that's because over the last eight to ten months, earnings expectations have come way down. You go back to this summer, and the vast majority of analysts, I mean, the overall general consensus was pretty much that corporate profits were not going to get any lower than 230, and some analysts had them well over 250. Now, that's an aggregate number, and I'll get to how we can apply that in a second here. But where are we today? Well, general consensus right now is that we're nowhere near that 250 or even 230. General consensus is that forward earnings, 2023 earnings, the year we're in right now. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I get into all that, specifically as far as corporate earnings right now for the fourth quarter of 2022, even though all these companies supposedly beat expectations, if you take energy profits out of the aggregate S&P 500 earnings, then you've seen an earnings decline of at least 7%. Now, everything is not been announced yet, so we don't have final numbers. But it's looking like, again, taking out the earnings from the energy companies, that the overall aggregate fourth quarter, when compared to the previous year's fourth quarter, that'd be 2021, that that aggregate earnings are down by at least 7%. Now, again, my concern for that is not only that earnings have come down so much, but also that earnings have come down so much... Before we've entered a recession, or before the majority of these announcements of layoffs and things had actually ever taken place. Okay, because we're talking about earnings from October to December. And that's also before a major part of the Federal Reserve's rising interest rates have really had an impact on corporate earnings. So, again, my concern is that we're seeing a big slide in corporate profits. And things like that generally happen when we're headed into a big market decline. Doesn't mean we will go into a big market decline. You know, I'm being pragmatic here. I'm not being dramatic. I don't see the current decline in corporate profits or even if the country goes into a recession or something, I don't see that as anything to be negative about long term. Remember, my money's parked in money market funds. So at some point, I can jump back into the market. Because I know that declining corporate profits today, it means that it'll force corporations to do the right thing and make adjustments within their organizations to be more profitable in the future. So I'm very optimistic about the long-term potential, especially of the U.S. and North American economies, but I'm just concerned short-term. Back to corporate profits, that aggregate I was talking about. Today, the general consensus of aggregate corporate profits are about 225. And that does include what President Biden thinks are confiscatory energy profits. But how realistic is that 225 number? Remember, just 10 months ago, it was anywhere from 230 to 250 or higher. Well, I don't think that number is very reliable. There's an increasing amount of voices that's saying it's far more likely... The corporate profits, at best, are going to be maybe 215, and some people are thinking all the way down to maybe 185. So we'll play around with one or two of those numbers, but let's just call it consensus, you know, 200, 210. That's a long way off from the overall consensus of 225 right now. Now let's talk about that impact. What does that really mean? Well, if you take... The S&P 500, and right now it's somewhere around 4100 as I record this. If you take 4100 for the aggregate of the S&P 500, that's what the index is trading at, and you divide that by a reasonable price per earnings ratio, and I'm going to use 18. I'm going to use 18 because that's certainly not the highest price per earnings ratio that we've seen over the last decade, but it's definitely not the lowest. It's a good, I think, midpoint number that we can use over the last 10 years as a price-per-earnings ratio on the S&P 500. So take 4,100 and divide it by 18, and you get 228. Now, 228 is right around that general consensus from analysts, right? Because I said they're thinking it's about 225. I don't necessarily think that's coincidental, You've got to remember that these analysts generally make their money by being sell side analysts. They're encouraging people to put money into the market. So they're the last guys on Wall Street to put up a red flag and say that anything's going to go bad. But let's step back and say, well, well what if we get something lower than an 18? What if we get a 16 price per earnings ratio? Now, that's not out of the realm of possibility especially if a little bit of fear sets in in the market. And in fact, if you go back prior to the financial crisis, and especially prior to the past 10 years or so, when we were essentially at negative interest rates, then 16 or 16 and a half was really about the average, the long-term, you know, 80-year average. So let's just use that number. Let's take 4,100, about where the S&P 500 is right now, and divide it by 16, that puts you at 256. Well, again, analysts right now, the general consensus, they're saying earnings are going to be maybe 225. My point is that the price per earnings ratio or the valuation, should it contract a little bit more, maybe out of fear or maybe simply out of a more normalization of people getting used to the fact that we're not going back to zero interest rates? Well, if that were to happen, we're looking at forward earnings having to come in at 256 to justify the S&P 500 at 4100. That's about a 14% increase above what the overly optimistic analysts are predicting. Okay, so let's say that doesn't come to pass. That would mean that the 4100 on today's S&P 500 would have to drop by 14%. That would put the S&P 500 right around 3540. 3540 is a long way from where we are right now and it's below the lows that we saw in October. Now let's look at the other side of this earnings equation. Instead of dealing with just the price per earnings ratio or the valuation, let's look at the actual earnings. What if we don't hit that 225 in earnings this year? What if we continue to see some earnings contraction and I'm not saying a big recession, but let's just say we we get earnings where maybe they only come in at say 200, 210, let's let's use 210, 4,100 divided by aggregate earnings of 210 would put today's valuation or price per earnings ratio, the S&P 500 at 19.5. Again, not out of line for where we've been, especially post-pandemic, but certainly a lot higher than I think that we're going to see valuations in an environment where you can get four and a half percent by simply safely parking your money in a money market fund. So what if that valuation does compress? What if it goes down to even a fairly high 17? Well, 17 times an aggregate earnings of 210, that puts you at 3570 on the S&P 500. Again, about back to where the lows were in October. And you want to start throwing some monkey wrenches in the situation, what if we do go into some type of an earnings recession, not even a full-blown economic recession, but we do see S&P 500 aggregate going down to maybe 200, and you put a 16 times valuation on that, that's 3,200 on the S&P 500. These numbers that I'm spewing out here, these are not extreme crazy examples. They're well within the probability of what could be happening over the next 10 to 12 months. And in fact, in terms of looking at things from a negative perspective, they're on the optimistic side of it. If you want to be more pessimistic and take a dot-com bubble or a housing bubble type perspective on it, which again isn't the end of the world because we've seen that. We've seen it twice within the last couple decades or so. But you take 185 earnings and you multiply that times a PE of 13, and you're talking about 2,400 on the S&P 500. Now, do I think we're going there? No, I don't. But it is not out of the realm of a recession probability. I put these numbers out there not to scare people, but to simply point out that I don't think that this stock market rally that we're seeing right now is as rosy as a lot of people want to portray it. We have not yet had a black swan event, and we may never get one. But if we do that would put us into seeing the S&P 500 drop down at or below that 3,000 level. And even without a black swan event, just look at what's going on with the Federal Reserve and with them, I think, with a high degree of likelihood that they are taking rates to or above 5%, which six months ago I would have never thought was going to happen. But that does look like the course they're on, and they are likely to hold that for some time at that level. As I do my research and I look at the charts, I don't see a time in, you know, the past history where the Federal Reserve cut rates before the market had bottomed. Logically, think through that. That makes sense. The Federal Reserve cuts rates when economic conditions are declining. So the incentive for the Federal Reserve to cut rates is that declining economic situation. And since the market generally anticipates those things, The market's going to go down before the Federal Reserve cuts rates, right? That's kind of how it's worked in the past. I don't know if that'll be that way in the future, but it makes sense to me. And again, that's where my concern comes in that we haven't seen the worst in the stock market yet. Okay, and then specifically to the performance of the stock market, and this gets back to the chart that I put out in yesterday's blog post. Take a look at that chart and understand that the reason I came up with that was that because as I look at today's current performance of the stock market, the performance over the last month or two, especially this breakout that we're seeing right now above the 200-day moving average, it's extremely weak. And that's a rarity in history. And I mentioned some of this in the blog post. But normally, you get a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery. A V is when you look at a chart, you see things abruptly go down and then bounce back up. That's what happened during the pandemic. You know, in, in March, February, March, the market just fell off a cliff, and then by May, June, July, boom, it rocketed back up. You had a very distinct V pattern. One bottom, and it was done. The other type of pattern you get is when there's more waffling a more hesitation, and you end up with a double bottom. We saw this in 2015. We saw this in 2016. Uh, we're seeing it right now. We saw it last year with the... Uh, the low we had in June, and then the low we had in October. That tends to be a W pattern on a chart. The market goes down, it starts to recover, usually about a little bit less than halfway back to its high, and then it goes back down again, and then from there it bounces up, and it breaks out and moves on above its 200-day moving average. Well, we may be seeing that pattern right now, but it also could be stalling out. And this is, again, the part where I'm not clairvoyant. I can't predict the future. I'm not predicting that it's going to fall apart. What I'm saying is, is watch that line. And if the S&P 500 can't break out and get above and sustain its movement above the 200-day moving average, then mathematically, it's impossible to go on to a rally and put in new highs. At best, you're going to be in a range-bound, very stagnant market, and at worst, you're going to dip down significantly below the 200-day moving average and challenge those old previous lows. And from a historical perspective, whenever that's happened, the market not only tests those lows, it goes significantly lower. A lot of that is prompted by a black swan event that we can't predict. And I'm not going to try and predict a black swan event because they're unpredictable. But that's what happened in 2008 with the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. That's what happened during the recovery coming out of the dot-com bubble when we had the terrorist attacks of 9-11. That's what propelled the market significantly below its previous lows. I'm not predicting that's going to happen. I don't know that that's what's going to happen. But there's enough going on with geopolitical issues that I have reason for concern. The situation that we're in right now with a ground war in Eastern Europe, among highly developed economies, right? That's something that we haven't seen since World War II. Uh, there's been little skirmishes here and there. And there's been events that I've talked about before, uh, especially when this whole Ukraine invasion broke out. That first week, it didn't bother me at all. I said, hey, I was old enough to remember the 1968 invasion of Czechoslovakia by the Soviet Union. But that's not what we're seeing here. We're not seeing Soviet expansion that's not being opposed by the West. We're seeing a whole different thing. We're seeing a big fight being put up. And we're seeing things like the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, I haven't talked much about that because I don't want to be associated with the crazy tinfoil hat type people. But when I look at that on a macro scale, and I think of the significance of a major sabotage of a critical civilian international infrastructure... Well, that's concerning. It shows that the people that are playing this game, they're willing to play for keeps. So the fact that we have a hot war right in a prominent part of Eastern Europe and right on NATO's border and a war that's dragged on now for a year and looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better, that's a reason for concern. You look at that and you factor in other geopolitical situations like the unprecedented Trade sanctions and restrictions we have not only on Russia, but also on China. If you're paying attention and seeing what's going on in China, this is not the trade war issues that we had when Trump was in office. This is specific military and non-military restriction of trade being imposed on the second largest economy in the world. Cold War II has already begun. And again, I don't think anybody's pricing that into the stock market. You look at those kind of factors, and you look at how the S&P 500 might be stalling out around that 200-day moving average level. And then you look back in history, and you see how rare that is. And there's only a couple other examples I came up with, and two of those examples are things that I've talked about in the past, and they deal with these kind of macro geopolitical issues that we're experiencing right now. And that's the post-World War II period and also the Arab oil embargo of the 1970s. You think about that, the Arab oil embargo, and that was about OPEC sanctioning oil into the U.S. They did it twice, two big events, around 73 and 79. That had a devastating long-term impact on the U.S. economy. It drove inflation through the roof. Along with that, the Federal Reserve mishandled the situation, made multiple bad policy decisions, monetary policy decisions, and that was at the same time when we were ramping up the Cold War against the Soviet Union, and we were trying to get out of Vietnam and contain and fight the Soviet Union on other fronts. A lot of that parallels to where we are right now going into Cold War II, and specifically this time, though, the energy crisis is in Europe. And if you look at a video I made back in May where I talked about choke points, if things get worse on a global scale, I think the U.S. is going to come out of this much better than many other countries and definitely better than we did during the Arab oil embargo because things like energy and food production, those are all in our favor now. They weren't in the 70s. So you look at the big impact, the negative impact to our currency and to GDP that the U.S. experienced in the 70s and i think that's what you're seeing happen to europe now and europe is nowhere near in the strong position that the u.s was back then so that could be really bad times for europe if things get worse now right now everybody seems to be happy because prices have stabilized on energy in europe but remember they've got to restock up on natural gas and the winter of 2023 may not be as mild as what we've just come through now And that whole adaption of them getting away from cheap petrochemicals from from Russia, that's not over, right? That is just a journey they're beginning on. And look at what happened to the U.S. and its economy in the 1970s and how long it took for us to get out of that. So that's why that chart of the Arab oil embargo is so important and why I put it in yesterday's blog post. And the other curve in there is the post-World War II era And I think that goes very well with the theme of being post-pandemic, right? Coming out of World War II, the U.S. had a great deal of debt because of fighting the war, and they had a major shift in their economy going from a war-type economy to a peacetime economy. So inflation was out of control. The jobs market was crazier than it had been in any other time in history. There were huge amounts of demands for you know, civilian and consumer products that couldn't be made yet. So you had all these supply chain disruptions. And along with that, as we got closer into the late 40s and early 1950s, you had the initiation of the Cold War, and specifically that period ended with a proxy war in Korea. And so all that is kind of portrayed, or a good bit of that is portrayed, in that curve on post-World War II. Now, one thing to consider that is that back then the U.S. was in a much stronger position than it is today because the United States was the only economy that still survived. Today, we have many of those similar problems, and our number one adversary is the second largest economy in the world, and they're not too far behind us. So when you look at those curves and you look at where we are post-pandemic and compare that to post-World War II and with the Arab oil embargo in the 1970s, there's a lot of eerie similarities in those charts and again, I put that out as just a matter of being cautious because we may break out above this pattern and go on to put in all new highs. At some point, we will, just like we did in the 80s and 90s coming out of the Arab oil embargo and just like we did coming out of the post-World War II era. There are definitely brighter days ahead and they could turn up tomorrow or they could be in three months or they could be in two years. Again, the point of that chart is to show that that period took about four and a half, five years to get resolved. But even having said that, looking on the bright side of that, there were plenty of opportunities to trade during that four or five year period where you could make money on the upside as the stock market bounced off the lows. So again, I'm not being negative Nelly here. I think that there are huge opportunities right around the corner. I'm just not willing to stick my neck out yet. But when I do, you'll be the first to hear about it. So until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.